Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast with Steve Schallenberger. You're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you transform your life and achieve results that otherwise would have seemed difficult or even impossible. In each episode, you'll learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals. Steve is the number one national best-selling author. He's successfully started 11 businesses in three separate industries. He is a highly sought-after keynote speaker and corporate trainer for organizations around the world, an executive coach, the father of six, and the founder of Becoming Your Best Global Leadership. Here is Mr. Steve Schallenberger. Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you might be in the world today. This is Steve Schallenberger, your host, and we have a multi-talented guest today. Welcome, Joshua Spodek. Hello, Stephen. How are you? Glad to be here. Oh, we're so excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Joshua hails from the great state of New York. And before we get started today, I'd like to tell you a little bit about Joshua's very interesting background. He's earned such praise as best and brightest from the Esquire magazine's genius issue, <laughs> the astrophysicist turned new media whiz from NBC and the rocket scientist from Forbes magazine and ABC News with success in such diverse fields as science, invention, entrepreneurship, art, leadership, coaching, and education. I mean, Josh has a fun background. Let me tell you just a little bit about some of the things that he's done and gives you a flavor for him, and then we'll jump right into our visit. He's been a professor, is a professor at NYU, and and holds five Ivy League degrees, including a PhD in astrophysicist, astrophysics and an MBA, both from Columbia University, where he studied under a Nobel uh, laureate. He helped build a, an uh, X-ray observational satellite orbiting the Earth as part of a multi-billion dollar decade-plus mission led by the European Space Agency with NASA. Uh, he left academia to co-found a venture called Submedia to bring to market his uh, invention, which is a technology to show motion pictures to subway riders moving between stations. <laughs> and those have been... Uh-huh used now throughout the world. Uh, He's been fascinated and surprised that business schools taught leadership, which he had previously thought unteachable. So he studied it, soon becoming a leadership and executive coach for Columbia Business School's program on social intelligence. We'll hear more about that. But he's led seminars in leadership, creativity, sales, strategy, uh, at many different institutions. He's uh, been a very successful coach, has uh, world-class clients. Uh, on a whole different phase of life, he's finished six marathons, counting 351 as best, which is really a great time, and competed at the world and national level of ultimate Frisbee. <laughs> he's done a, He's done a lot of stuff. I mean, I haven't told you everything, but... Josh, welcome to our program. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's it's funny to hear all these things when it's not uh, when someone's saying that. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. I've you know one thing that I've I've never had a lot of trouble with identifying when there's something that I really like. I will put myself into it, and you know, like running a marathon is. I I started at first I didn't like it, but then I started liking it. I would 
I really get into things. And so, you know, that's why I did a lot of things. Yeah, well, that's terrific. Uh, and just as for our listeners to help our listeners get a feel for your background, maybe what got you into what you ended up doing, tell us about your background, any turning points in your life that have had a significant impact on you. What, what's your story? How did you end up where you're at? Sure. I, there are a lot of turning points. I'll try to hit some of the big ones. I okay. can tell you that when I was young growing up, I was, it was, I was good at math and science. And that was, I liked it because I liked it, but I also was picked on because of it. So I wasn't like full on bullied, but I tried to hide that because socially it wasn't very, it didn't move me ahead. But then in college is when I started to think for myself and I said, you know, I like this stuff enough. I'm going to, even if it's socially difficult, I'm going to go into physics. And so I got my degree in physics and then I went to get an MBA. I'm sorry. I went to get a PhD and that, you know, it's funny that sometimes you might love something, but then you realize that doing it isn't exactly what you wanted to do. So I love physics, but to be a researcher wasn't really what I liked. And that put me into a crisis that was one of the main turning points. The crisis was that I felt like, all right, if I'm going to leave research, I got to use my physics degree somehow. And I felt like I had very few options. Like I could only stay in physics. Maybe I could go over to Wall Street and make a lot of money, but I didn't really like that way of living. And so the big turning point there was that one of a big lucky thing was a couple of friends of mine and I decided to start a company together. And I had never done anything in business before. My father's a history professor and my mom has since become an entrepreneur herself, but wasn't that entrepreneurial yet then. And so, well, one guy ended up moving off to Boston to get married, but the other guy and I, we started a company together and that discovery that I really loved entrepreneurship. I love not just having my vision, something that I could, that, that I built, you know, I mean, I came up with the invention, but also there's a whole social side and an emotional side to life that physics just doesn't really treat. I mean, physics doesn't talk about empathy or self-awareness or vision or things like that. And so, okay. So I started this company and things went well for a while up until our first recession. And that's where my inexperience, another big turning point was, um, I, okay, I can't claim to be the most humble person in the world, but I certainly got a dose of humility there. And so I got squeezed out by the investors, and I, it's, people always talk about how you, have to, how you have to fail and you learn by failing. I rarely hear people talk about the pain and you know, the, the anguish that you go through. And I, I don't really want to go into it now, but it was a very difficult period, a couple of years there, where I, I'll tell you the best thing about it was that my relationship with my mother got a lot stronger because it felt like everyone was turning on me. I didn't know what was going on. If there's one person I knew had my back, it was her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mentioned that, and I realized that I wanted to keep starting businesses, and I didn't want to have my inexperience hold me back or hold the companies back. And so I went back to get an MBA, and there I got another dose of humility. It was really, I thought, oh, I got a PhD in physics, I know everything, I was a CEO, I'm going to be really great, this is going to be a cakewalk. And I didn't even make it through orientation before I realized that people who had been in business a long time had all these skills that I didn't know what they were. Skills that what, you know, we call them the soft skills, which doesn't quite do justice. And so business schools where that's where I began the path that I'm on now, which is that I felt there were a lot of people who were like me who just didn't have access to how to become more emotionally intelligent, how to develop your, your self-awareness 
how to listen to people more, how to make eye contact and, and feel comfortable while doing it. And I felt like this stuff is very valuable. I want to be able to share it with others. And for the first few years after business school, I was learning about leadership more. And after a few years of, of learning it and trying to coach and trying to lead seminars, then I started to learn more about education and how to teach this stuff in a different way. Because stop me if I'm going on too long. <laughs> Am I talking too long? Oh, no, no. Uh, um, you know, it's interesting. I'll just, uh, just break in here and just mention that uh, as I hear Josh and, and many others that have been highly successful in what they've done, uh, really learn about themselves as they're moving along. They gain experience. They find out what they're able to do well, what doesn't fit. And, and then they make adjustments along the way to as they're listening to their own heart, to their observing their own strengths and where they can really make the biggest impact. And, and so I would encourage all of our listeners to continue to do that, to, uh, to have courage and and recognize the good that they've done and keep building on those things and then looking for the things that they think they might be able to make do the where can they make the greatest impact for good and that's what you've been looking at i mean you're you're asking this question that as joshua knows uh, we've talked about it i've written a book called becoming your best well that's the spirit of it the spirit of becoming your best is saying hold it how do i take these skills and use them for good and you keep making these little adjustments like you've just illustrated. And, but I love it because you're using your intellect and your feeling to say, hold it. You're, I'm being curious about these things. How can I use these to help things go better? That's what you're doing. So I love yeah. hearing about what you're talking about. Yeah, I want to pick up on one thing that you said about the intellect and feeling because the, that's one of the major shifts for me is the feeling part to recognize that and to be able to act on that. That took a long time. You know, the beginning was, I was very strong on intellect, very almost ignorant and unaware of the feeling part. And you need both of them. I mean, if you go without intellect, I don't know, you just get, you get swept away by every little emotion. And if you only go by emotion, you don't, you know, you just do what's fun and that doesn't always last. Yeah. Good point. And you know, it's funny that all these things that I did, a lot of them, I'm like, I'm really proud, but also I learned that I didn't, they, they reached an end point. I, and I guess only by following them to the limit did I realize that I, like, that physics was something that I loved at the beginning. And then ultimately, I didn't like it in the end. I didn't like the practice of it. So I left it. But I don't think, had I not pursued it all the way as far as I could, I would not have known that. Ultimately, it wasn't what I wanted to do in the long run. Now, Joshua, that's a big change, going from an astrophysicist to business or, you know, to creating a, a business enterprise. That's a big difference, actually. You made a jump into a different field. Was it hard for you? Was it a natural transition? Uh, how did that roll out for you? Yes, it was hard, although I have this belief that I've, I don't know where I got it from, but I think I've had it for a long time, which is that if anyone else can do something, they're human, I'm human. I've never met anyone who can like do something magical. I mean, tricks on stage, but not, you know, they don't have any abilities that I don't have. And so I've always felt like if someone else could do it, then I can do it too. Yay! And, <laughs> I love it. it. 
If they can do it, I can do it. <laughs> it's maybe one of the most valuable beliefs to have. I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it does put you through that. that maybe that gives you like this one, one percent inspiration. There's still the 99% perspiration. And mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you there are times starting the business, like I go into, I don't know, to meet with a venture capitalist and I'm dressed like a graduate student. I haven't yet, I don't yet know what it's going to be, mm-hmm. what the world that I'm going to go into is like. And I remember one time someone saying like, are you going to do this through equity or debt? And I was like, what's equity? I don't even know what that means. You know, and like, I don't feel so smart at a time like that. Or, or one time when we were pitching, um, uh, we were pitching some client and they said, we, we quoted them a price and I said, is that net or gross? And another time when, you know, <laughs> I love it. They, there's this pause and the, it, the pause could have been a microsecond, but it was any pause at all. They know this guy doesn't know the answer. He doesn't know what I just asked. It's like the most basic question. And, yeah, these, these, you know, after you walk out of the meeting, you're like, oh my God, I, I, I look like such an idiot. I, I felt like <laughs> anyone knows this. So yes, it's painful. I mean, yes, it, I, I'm glad I did it. It was, it, it was, I don't know how to put this. Here's how I put it. Is that people who, I hope you don't mind if I, people who suck at things often tell you how great they are. And people who are awesome at things tell you the disasters they went through on the way to get there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, I do talk about, like I said, I'm not that humble, but there are, there have been some deeply humbling moments that really, I like what looks in the retrospect, like a path to success at the time I was like, I wanted to give up so many times. Hmm. That's a great quality. Well, uh, you know, our listeners are working on, on becoming their best. I mean, it's something that really, it's a shared feeling within this feeling you have within that you want to manifest without, and both as individuals and leaders. So from your experience, what is the best way to teach leadership and entrepreneurship? Well, there's several best ways. There's different approaches. I think that with something that I found missing is, is only one part of it, but it's, it's a very low-level instruction of how to do the details. Like, for example... I keep a blog and I've written my, on my blog every day for six or seven years. I, I've not missed a day. So I've, I'm up around 2,500 posts. Wow. Wow. And now there's a lot of advice out there. That's essential advice that says for people who write, you know, it's like write every day or write lots of different instruction. Okay. I heard that instruction for a long time, but what actually got me to start my blog was my friend sat down, got out the software and made an account for me and walked me through how the details of it, precisely how it like click here to do this, click there to do that. Now you got it going. And if you look at my original posts, you see it like a few here and there, a few here and there, and then suddenly nonstop. And you need both of someone to tell you, here's the long-term vision you have, here are the principles. What I didn't see and what I needed was the very low-level stuff. And that's what I do is to give people very low-level instruction of the equivalent of, like creating the web page for me and then saying, click here, click there, click there, click there. And so that's what I think is, is what I found missing of that. That also found very essential. And, and if you don't mind my continuing, one of my role models, not role models, but um, educational models was how we teach people how to play the piano or I could say sports or military or 
a few other areas that we don't lecture people about how, about musical theory. We tell them, hit this key, then hit this key, then hit this key, and keep practicing that over and over again. That's a scale. And there's theory in the scale. But you don't actually tell them, like, here's what a perfect fifth is, or here's, how, here's what harmonics mean. You let them play and play and play, and then they discover that. So I, as a teacher, have to come up with the equivalent of scales. And if I do it well, then people practice and they get the theory through practice, and they get the practice. Wow, that is fabulous. Now, uh, so can you give us, for example, uh, wh- what are the kind of results that you get? And I fully agree with what you're describing because we have way too many people in our society say, just do it. You know, here, just go read this book or, or go to the Internet. Uh, but from what you're saying, it's far deeper than that of how do you really become a master of leadership principles or how do you, how do you become a good entrepreneur? So what you're saying is that, A, you need to understand it, but B, you need to go out and do it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And, and so uh, what have you found is the best way uh, to teach others how to do that? How do we bridge that gap? I'll tell you one area is, in my, in, in my book, I, there's four units, understanding yourself, leading yourself, understanding others, and leading others. And one of the big techniques I teach in how to lead others in the fourth unit is to behave and communicate in a way that makes other people feel comfortable sharing their motivations, sharing their emotions. And since people are usually uh, vulnerable about these things, they tend to protect those things. And so how do you behave? If, if I just say to you, tell me your deepest passions, most people are like, yeah, right. I'm not going to share that with you. I don't know you well enough. Especially at work, if, someone, if the person who's asking controls your paycheck. So people are often more protective. So a way to get people to behave in a certain way, I give people scripts for them to follow, and I tell them, practice these scripts with people near you that you feel comfortable with. And when you do that, they will share their emotions, and they'll feel good about it. And the thing you do then as a leader is you connect those emotions to the tasks that you want done, and they'll feel, they'll feel meaning in the work now. Okay, so a lot of times at the beginning, people say, wait a minute, you're going to get me to, you're going to get, me to get people to share their emotions, and I'm going to get them to work with those emotions. Isn't that manipulating them? And I say, try to practice out. See what happens. Because I know it's going to happen. And what happens is when the person shares emotion, they really like it. And they do feel that meaning. And when you lead someone this way and you see someone feel value and purpose in what they do, after they've done the exercises, they come back to me and they say, now I look back and trying to get people to do things for money, that's manipulative. Like if you do this, I'm going to pay you a bonus. That's not really meaningful. That's more external incentives. And so that's a big change that people start connecting on their emotions and their motivations, and they find meaning and purpose in what they do. I hope that, expl- I hope that illustrates yeah, it. It's, yeah, that's it's something so, that you really have to experience. Mm-hmm, that's so powerful. Could you give a specific example of, say, an emotion that you, as a leader, and, let's, and I, I, I really I love where you're going on this, because it connects down into the emotion to actually getting results that are persistent, uh, results that are sustainable, uh, because they have this whole emotional commitment uh, component as part of it that connects to maybe the vision 
of the organization or the team of excellence of where they're trying to get. Can you give us a specific example of that? Like uh, uh, some, let, let's use some emotion that you found that works well. Is it, does it surface with someone coming to you with a problem or does it surface with you as a leader trying to get to uh, from point A to point B? Uh, so sure. g- give us a more concrete example of that. I'm even happy sure. to role play with you or just whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the emotion depends on the person. It's, it's, uh, it's what, okay. I'll give you an example. A little while ago, I was at a, uh, these things that Columbia puts together for people who are about to graduate with people who have degrees in the area. So I was meeting with some people who are science, uh, graduate students at Columbia and, this one guy that I met, a student, he worked in earth sciences. And I said, all right, when you go to physics, you want to learn about like mass and charge and time. It's, it's really about the fundamentals of nature. When you do earth science, I said, what are you into earth science for? And he said, well, you know, the globe is warming and, and sea levels are rising. And I want to do something about it. I said, all right, the classes that you're taking, are they doing these? Are you getting to change things? And, you know, we talked a little bit and he's doing a lot of measurement, but not a lot of changing things. And I said, by the way, I should mention that before I was talking to him, he's at Columbia and I'm teaching mostly at NYU. I'm doing a little bit at Columbia, but I am kind of interested in teaching people in the sciences about leadership. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't tell him that right off the bat, but he says, yeah, I would like to do more influence, but we don't have any classes in that. All the classes are in measuring and reporting results. So I said, so tell me more about how you want to influence, like what you want to do. And he starts going, he's very... He, he cares a lot about changing how humans are affecting the environment. And once I know that that's what he really cares about, then I say, would you be interested in having classes on leadership up there? He's like, yeah, I would. So suddenly he wants me to teach up there. He's become an inside person at a department that otherwise I wouldn't know anyone. And suddenly he wants to bring me up and he's doing it for himself. That emotion of his that is unmet by his department to change things, to influence people's behavior. He wants to, I, I, I can't put it in his line. He, you know, it might sound like he wants to save the world, but he, he wants to change how people behave and nothing up there is doing it. And now by connecting that passion of his to a task that would help him achieve that, he wants to do that task of helping me get a, a teaching up there at his department. So it sounds, yeah, it sounds to me, Josh, that, like, one of the things you're helping people do, and this is at the very heart of leadership, is to connect a personal vision uh, of what they want to accomplish uh, and have that be a clear driving force in their life. And if they can capture that vision, which is emotionally seated deep within them that comes from within, then it gives the firepower to connect their technical skills to a purposeful end. Is that part of what you're suggesting here? Exactly. Once that connection's there, it's almost like you, you, they're unleashed. They, you often get this look in their eyes of like, finally, I can do what I wanted to do for the reasons I wanted to instead of just because someone's telling me what to do. And there's one thing prior to that, that for me was very necessary because I didn't have the emotional and social skills was to make it so that people felt comfortable sharing these things. Because it is deep, 
And even for themselves, it's often deep. Like I, there are things that I discover about myself all the time. And a great leadership skill, a very effective leadership skill is to be able to, to get that out, get the, get the stuff on top out of the way so that they can share those things. Feeling, knowing that, they're, that you are going to support them. You're not going to make fun of them or belittle them. That's, I think, you know, we were all made fun of. I don't know about you. I was made fun of when I was a kid. I was, <laughs> sure. you know, I've, I've had my heart broken. Right. And your heart doesn't get broken from a casual friend. It's when you, when you open yourself up, when you make yourself vulnerable. True. Right. Okay. Well, that's really powerful. And then what's your advice uh, as, as you see people capturing this, this, this energy, this vision, this direction, and they're, they're going under their own power. So now that they have that, they don't really need, you know, outsiders to prompt them on. They certainly collaborate with others and, and connect and have mentors and, and really set up these partnerships to help move to that vision. How do you help them set up an actual plan then, uh, take that direction and make it specific so here's a set of actions that I can accomplish this with? Have you found some good things to recommend on that part? Yeah, I mean, for one thing is, the, is my perspective is that leadership, often the, the most glorious parts of leadership of like inspiring people and having come over to vision and things like that, that often doesn't take that long. You might, you know, it's like 1% inspiration part. Mm-hmm. Most of leadership of the time that you spend, I think, is supporting the people on the team, resolving conflicts, getting resources, getting over past hurdles, making connections, things that get them so that they're not distracted from, their, from the work that they may feel and passion for. For you, that might mean, like as a CEO of a startup, that meant if we need paper clips and it's 2 in the morning and the only place that's open is across town, I'm the one who goes to do it. If this has never happened, but if like the toilets are clogged and a venture capitalist is coming over, if no one else is going to, if we don't have a plumber, I got to go fix it. <laughs> you know, that's, I got to be prepared for that. So I'm the one, if, and if it falls through the cracks, I believe the leader has to do those things. Now to prepare for that, I think there's two, there's two big stages. I think first, when I give someone a task, I think to myself, what resources are they going to need? How can I support them? And I come up with everything that I can. And then separately, after that, I go and meet with a person and have them think, what are all the things that you, can, that you might need and foresee problems you might have and so forth. And then we sit down and write down and have a piece of paper, and it's a, and two pieces of paper. And mine says, this is what I'm responsible for, and this is what I will tell you. And you say, this is what you're responsible for, and this will tell me. And you can formalize these in different ways. But try to foresee everything. Be aware that things are going to come up that you can't foresee. And that sets up the, the foundation. If I do it very well, the, the best times that I've done this, the only way I can describe the behavior that comes out of it is it looks on the outside like I'm micromanaging them, but because they've asked for it, they like it. Like when someone really loves a task, then they, when you give them a deadline, it feels to them like it's helping them get things done. When you give them a standard of quality to reach, it feels to them like now I know how to do it well. Very so it's that foresight and, and mutually we're making an agreement together. What I'm, what I'm going to give for you, what I'm going to get from you, what you're going to get to me, what you're going to get from me. Well, that's great. Well, these are powerful leadership principles. I mean, we're talking about setting the vision, helping people engage around that envision emotionally themselves, 
getting down to that level. And once you make that jump, everything changes. So great job. And then second is actually creating the plan, managing with a plan that you set up for seeing the things that need to be done and then coming up with a way to execute. And so now formalizing that. So these are, these are powerful uh, leadership principles and certainly the things that are needed. So great going on this. I'm always amazed, Josh, at how fast time flies. I mean, we're already done. <laughs> so, I, I mean, it's, I've got some really great golden nuggets out of this visit today. Uh, before we wrap up, do you have any final advice or tips for our listeners? Well, I can't help but comment on what you're just saying. Of you know, I try to help people. It, I mean, your book has twelve principles, and it's like partly I think twelve is just the starting point because I mean, and you say keep doing it, keep practicing, come back over and over again. And partly I think well, maybe just the thirteenth, keep going, is enough because if you keep going, eventually you'll figure it all out. Of course, it's much faster if you learn from other people's experience. So, you know, it's this so it's such a rich, complex field. Complex like a fine wine, you know. It's, I don't know. I think you got to keep at it. And if people are listening to this because they want to improve, it just it doesn't come right away. It, it, not for anyone that I've ever heard of. And there are always challenges, and you have to get through them. And you're just going to keep learning. I think the best leaders on their deathbed are like still learning. Uh, thanks for the encouragement. Thanks for the inspiration. Uh, just you're spot on on that. Now. How can our listeners find out more about what you're doing and about the resources offered by, by uh, Joshua Spodek? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, very soon, my book, Leadership Step-by-Step, Step, will come out. So on February 16th, that comes out on Amazon. Then my courses are available at spodekacademy.com. So it's my last name, S-P-O-D-E-K academy.com. And if people are interested in my personal blog, it's my ramblings of viewing the world through my perspective. That's at joshuaspodek.com. All right. Well, good stuff. Well, if we had a call to action for any of us today, I'd like to build upon this idea that uh, Joshua's been talking about, that if you're going to become a good pianist, certainly you have to have the inspiration and the desire, the feel, but also it takes practice. If you're going to become a good athlete, uh, then you're going to have to practice at that sport. Well, the same thing takes place in mastering principles of leadership, which change the world. They help us get to a better place. And and so, as many of you know, we've been thinking about this, as has Joshua. He's created a number of resources. One of the resources we provide at Becoming Your Best is a weekly message that automatically comes to you on one of the principles. And so I, we were working with a client in Mauritius, uh, the uh, CEO of a, a very large and successful company. They had 600,000 acres of sugar cane that they were <laughs> uh, harvesting and, and planting and cultivating and providing to the market. And he said, what I like about becoming your best is it's simple because all I have to do is work on one principle a week. So if you go to our website, becomingyourbest.com, it'll give you, it's a free service, and just one email comes to you, it'll provide stories, examples, uh, action steps, but what happens is then the next week you work on the next principle, and the next, the next, and so forth, and at the end you start over again. You can do it forever, and, 
And so this is how we become good, because one day you wake up and you're different. And uh, I liked one of the things that Josh shared with us today. It's in the very heart of working on these things that we have new insights, uh, that we find ways to become our best. So thanks again, Josh, for being such a valuable part of this interview today. Thank you. You know, time also felt like it flew for me, and I credit, I thank you for asking great questions, and uh, I hope my answers help. Oh, they have, and you've done such a fabulous job. We wish you all the best as you're making a difference in the world, and to all of our listeners, never forget, you too can make a difference every single day of your life. I'm Steve Schallenberger with Becoming Your Best, wishing you a great day. thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Becoming Your Best podcast. We want to know what your big takeaways were, so head on over to becomingyourbest.com and you can find all the information about the podcast right there as well as the show notes page where we'd love to hear what you thought about each and every single episode. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a rating and review. A rating and review is by far the best way for you to show your appreciation for the show because it helps other people find out about the show and decide if this is the podcast for them. So now it's all in your hands. It's time for you to go out there to take action and truly start becoming your best.